Let us pray. Heavenly Father, during this time that we have now in your presence, as your word is read and as your spirit moves among us, we ask that you prepare us, that you center our hearts, that you, that you aim our focus at what you have to say. Please clear away all distractions that we may experience that may compete for our attention and help us to open the doors to our hearts so that you may come in, that these words as they are read will be blessed, that they may teach us something, that, uh, that your spirit will, will somehow, through the, the power of, of your spirit and through the power of your gospel message, Lord, we will somehow uh, come, become more like Christ today. Bless this time now that we have in the presence of you and in the presence of each other. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 and verses 25 through 34. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized, and her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As Roger said, we've been uh, going. We've been talking about the means of grace through the season of Lent. We've been talking about how uh, God's grace is made available to us um, through physical events or through sacraments or through things that we participate in, because grace is unseen, and our relationship with God comes uh, through the Holy Spirit, which is also unseen, but it is experienced in the physical realm. And these things that we experience them through are called the means of grace. And uh, one of these means of grace 
is baptism. Now, Wesley, John Wesley believed that uh, the sacraments were outward and visible signs of a covenant that God establishes with you and that you establish with God. Baptism is one of those sacraments, which are, in the words of Wesley, the means of grace. By looking at these outward and visible signs, we understand God's grace, we understand God's mercy, but we also understand our calling from God in our own lives. Now, sometimes what we believe about baptism or or what the church believes about baptism can be a little confusing. Sometimes it's, it's unknown depending on what background you have, what denomination you come from. And I know uh, several of us uh, here are from, uh, from other denominations initially. Um, I was raised in a Baptist church. And so there are little nuances, there are little differences in, in how some people perceive baptism, exactly what it is, when it should happen. Some, some people believe in, in immersion, which is you know, just dunking under the water. Some people believe in you know, just sprinkling. You just cup your hand and you, you, you put it on the head. Some people believe that adult baptism is the only true baptism, and then some people believe in infant baptism. Now, there are many scriptures uh, to support anyone's argument on any number of those things, and, and that has been done to death over the centuries. People have argued about baptism and, and used certain passages. But since we're talking about uh, John Wesley and, and how he viewed baptism, and since we are in a Methodist church, uh, we will be talking about the Methodist uh, view of baptism today, what, what it means for us, how we understand it. And, um, and, and hopefully there will be a little bit of a clearer understanding. Because like I said, it's not something that gets talked about a lot in the church. I think it's just assumed that people maybe know it, or maybe for the sake of trying to start arguments, we just avoid the subject. Uh, but we don't preach on it too much. Now I do know of one preacher who, who preached on baptism uh, every single week, and his congregation got sick of it. He could take a a passage from anywhere in the Bible and somehow turn it into uh, a passage or or, or into a sermon about baptism and our need for baptism. And the church got fed up with this and they told him, well, next week we're going to pick your your scripture passage for you. And he said, "Okay." he agreed to it. And uh, and they said, we really want you to preach on Genesis 1 1. And uh, this, this was coming from his congregation. And, and Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created heavens and the earth. So the preacher agreed to do it. And he got up there and he said, In the beginning God created heavens and the earth. And the earth is two-thirds water. So there's plenty of water for you to be baptized in. <laughs> they, got, they got that sermon anyway. Uh, but, but we don't talk about it uh, uh, much, so I want to talk about it a little bit today. And, and before I get too far in it, I want to go ahead and address the subject of infant baptism, just simply because some of you have asked me about it. Uh, some of you come from denominations uh, where infant baptism isn't practiced. Uh, so I just kind of want to, to give an understanding of, of why that's done, why John Wesley believed in it, why the early church believed in it, and why the Methodist church believes in it. First of all, if you look at the scripture that we just read, we see uh, two different people being baptized. Um, is that right? No, we see several people being baptized. We see two people coming to Jesus through the teaching, the preaching of Paul. 
And then Lydia, in one passage, it says she and all her family were baptized. And then we see the prison guard. He comes to believe. It doesn't say his whole family came to believe. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your family will be saved. Now, that means that his family, his children, his infants, whatever he had there that were his responsibility as, as the head of that household, it was if he believed and, and it was his profession of faith and then he taught that and he baptized them in that, then they were a part of that covenant that he had made with Christ. Now, when they get older, they have to make the choice for themselves, what they're going to do, what they're going to believe. But while they are part of his household, while they are still his children, it is on him to raise them in his faith and, and, and to be a part of that covenant. And so it says that he believed and then he and all his family were baptized. This happens a few different times in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, you see uh, Paul talking about Stephanus, and he says, I baptized Stephanus and his entire family. Now, the thing with infant baptism is we baptize them as a commitment, just as the prison guard was committed to bringing Christ into his home and to raising his family in that faith. When we baptize children in the church, we are committing to raising those children in the faith. We are making a commitment to them. Now, baptism is a covenant, and if you look at covenants all through Scripture, if you go all the way back to, to the, uh, the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis, you look at the covenant that God made with Noah, that he would never flood the earth again. The covenant that he made with Abraham, that his, his descendants and, and the, his offspring would be blessed. These covenants always involve the offspring. They always involve the future generations. And as a sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham, there was circumcision. Now, this happened to the infants. This happened to the babies. But it was a sign that they were born into this covenant. This covenant had been passed down for generations, a covenant God had made with Abraham. And, the, and, and, and Jewish people still do this. They still believe that the circumcision is part of a sacred covenant. And when a, uh, a Jewish boy becomes 12 years old or a Jewish girl becomes 12 years old, they go through their bar mitzvah or their bat mitzvah, and that's when they, they affirm, they confirm their, their belief in this covenant. That's when they say, yes, I've been raised in this faith. I believe that I've received this covenant uh, through my parents and their teachings and what they've done for me, and so now I'm at the point where I want to believe this myself. I confirm it. Now, in the book of Colossians, Paul likens circumcision to baptism, or he likens baptism to circumcision. In Colossians 2, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying this, this old covenant of the circumcision, now we have this, this new covenant of the baptism. And it's a covenant that, that is established. So if, if circumcision or, or this, these Old Testament covenants were something that, that a family would bring a child into, 
then so is baptism for us today. That, that is the Methodist view of baptism. But it has to be confirmed. There is an age of accountability where a child has to say, yes, I believe in the grace that was extended to me. Because that's what baptism ultimately is. It's a means of grace. It's a channel through which God makes a covenant with us. God signs us and seals us and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the most important thing we can remember about baptism is that it is a covenant. But it's not just one covenant. It's not just two covenants. It's actually a series of covenants. As I said, God makes a covenant with us. This uh, covenant was first seen, the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus went down into the Jordan to see John the Baptist, who I wish was called John the Methodist, but it is what it is. So he goes down into the Jordan to see John the Baptist, and, and John baptizes Jesus. And God the Father, a voice from heaven, speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. So there, the baptism of Jesus, you have, you have the Father who uttered the words, you had the Son who received the baptism and the Holy Spirit, and you have the Holy Spirit who descends upon Jesus. It is a Trinitarian event. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all present. And then ever since that moment, whenever we receive baptism, we are receiving the full Trinity. God is present. We are doing as the Son, and the Son is present. And we are receiving from God the Holy Spirit. And we are signed and sealed with that Spirit. And that is God's grace at work. It is His covenant with us. That as long as we remain humbled, as long as we remain uh, dead to ourselves, and we seek to be resurrected with Christ, we will receive the Holy Spirit. We will receive the grace. But baptism isn't just a covenant uh, from God to us. It also becomes a covenant from us to God. Now, if, if you've gone through adult baptism or baptism after conversion, then you know this instinctively. You know this is a sign of me deliberately turning my heart towards God, receiving this covenant from Him, but also committing myself to Him. But if, if you're a child or if you're too young to, to understand baptism, this is done later at confirmation. And it's when you say I am committing myself to God. I understand that God has, has given me this grace. He has promised me His Holy Spirit. He has signed and sealed me at my baptism. And so now that I understand that, now I'm aware that what happened, I am committing my life to Him. And we make a covenant with God. But then there's another covenant that happens. Because you see, baptism is also the initiation into the church. When we are baptized, we become part of this church body. And not just these people here, but the universal church. We become a part of Christ's church. And so when we, we are baptized, if you notice, we have this responsive reading that we do, especially in the Methodist church, where the congregation will respond that, yes, we will do everything in our power to, to help this person who is being baptized. We will do everything in our power to strengthen them and to help them grow in grace. And we will also look to them to help us grow in grace. So we make a covenant with each other. It's a commitment that we make that not only are we experiencing God's grace through baptism, 
But those of us who have experienced it before, we will share in that grace. And we become, as, as like Roger just, just said a little while ago, we become channels of grace for each other as we are initiated into the church. Now, God makes that covenant with us, and it is never broken. God does not break covenants. God does not break promises. When he signs and seals you, when he promises to deliver you, when he offers you grace, it's an eternal promise. It is an eternal event. It can't be repeated. It is done once, and it is forever. But we, on the other hand, we break our promises, don't we? We fail in our covenants and our commitments. We aren't always as committed to each other as we should be. And we aren't always committed to God as we should be. And so we don't rebaptize, but what we do is we remember our baptism. Now I liken this to the idea of, of renewing marriage vows, renewing wedding vows. I know a couple who uh, experienced some turmoil in their marriage. They went through some, some really hard times, difficult times. They weren't on the same page. They weren't always supportive of each other. They weren't always faithful to each other. But they never divorced. It was still a legal marriage. But they decided they wanted to recommit themselves to each other. Now, there was no need for them to go back to the courthouse and get a marriage license all over again because the marriage was still valid. But they felt the need to have a ceremony with each other where they would remind each other of those vows and they would remember those vows. And we can do the same thing from time to time uh, in the church. There is no need to be baptized again for the second time because God has made that covenant with us. But we can remember our baptism. And we have a special service that that we don't do very often, but it's it's actually in your hymnal, and we'll do it today. It's a special service for remembering your baptism where we recommit ourselves to Christ, where we recommit and we renew that covenant that we make with him. You see, there are certain practices that believers engage in, practices that we call sacraments, and we call them that because they are sacred. It's a covenant from God to us when we make that, sacred, that, that, that commitment, that sacred commitment called baptism. And it's a commitment and a covenant that we make with God as well. But it's also an initiation into the church, and it's also a covenant we make with each other. And throughout all of this, we receive, we live in, we grow in, and we share in God's grace God's covenant to us is permanent. He will always bless us with the presence of His Holy Spirit as long as we are dead to ourselves and resurrected with Him. And today I'd like for us to to revisit that commitment, to recall our baptism. And so what I want you to do is turn to page 50 in your United Methodist hymnal. And we will read responsively up to a point We will read responsively up to a point, and then I will invite you all to to come forward in a a single-file fashion 
And what I'll do is, uh, after I bless the water, I'll, I'll take my, my thumb and place it in the water, and I'll just make on your forehead the sign of the cross. And what this will do is it will just serve to remind us of our baptism. And if you've never been baptized before, that's fine. You can take this as a foretaste of, of the covenant that God wants to make with you. So I invite you to come forward and do that uh, this morning. But turn with me to page 50, and, uh, and the parts in bold, please read along responsibly. Brothers and sisters in Christ... Through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to all? people of all ages, nations, and races. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? In God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations, his glory among all peoples. Pour out your Holy Spirit 
And by this gift of water, call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins, and you clothed us with righteousness throughout our lives, that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen.
If you still have your hymnals, turn to page 52. We will conclude with the reaffirmation of faith and the thanksgiving. Remember your baptism and be thankful. The Holy Spirit work within you that having been born through water and the Spirit, you may live as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice in the faithfulness of our covenant God. We give thanks for all that God has already given us as members of the body of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church. We will faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish and strengthen you. As we come to the time of our hymn of invitation this morning, I invite you and encourage you if you've made any decision uh, today that this is the uh, appropriate time to come forward and share that with us. Um, But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 64 in your Cokesbury hymnal. That's Blessed Assurance, hymn number 64.